Hey, listeners, uh, really quick announcement before we begin today's show. Um, right before recording this, I uh, spoke with Jerry, and um, he is going to take a little bit of a leave of absence from recording uh, through the end of the year uh, right now, if not a little bit longer. Um, hopefully not a permanent thing. It's just, I think, uh, Jerry's always been very upfront that he had some um, personal issues that he has wanted to work on, and uh, we both agree that for right now, his own mental health and well-being is way more important than anything we do here. So he's going to take some time to work on those things, and if and when he feels ready to rejoin us, he'll be back. So if you're asking what that means for the show, uh, hopefully it means... You know, obviously there'll be some changes, but we're going to continue on here. Uh, we have some really good guests lined up over the coming weeks. We've got some really big ideas for things we want to do in 2021. And we're committed to still delivering you this podcast each and every week. So we appreciate you bearing with us as we kind of go through some of these changes. And we are still looking forward to... Uh, talking with our guests and giving you guys this show uh, every week going forward. So just thanks for bearing with us. Everybody, welcome back to the Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast that covers every horror movie franchise, one movie and one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, and we are starting a new series tonight. That's right. We have finally, although I'm kind of sad about it, it's my favorite series. We finally ended a nightmare in Elm Street. Um, and we are starting a brand new franchise. We have Three movies in the Urban Legend series, and we're going to kick it off with the 1998 uh, slasher slash suspense movie, Urban Legend. Now, nobody really wants to hear me talk for, you know, 90 minutes straight. That would get pretty boring pretty quick. So I am super excited to introduce this week's guest on the show. Uh, up first from the newly launched Bloody Disgusting podcast, her work has appeared on Bloody Disgusting, Red Central, Wicked Horror, Horror Hound. The El Rey Network, among, oh my God, this is the hardest working woman in show business right now. <laughs> we have the real queen of horror, uh, Zena Dixon on the show. Zena, how are we? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I feel very lazy, though, after reading <laughs> all those bylines. I'm like, oh, no, man. no, no, no. I just always just try to make myself sound spicier mm -hmm. than what I am. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> And we have another guest with us tonight. Uh, her work can be read at the newly launched e-zine We Are Horror, as well as Certified Forgotten, Fangoria, and other places. Please welcome the blogging Blanchie. The blogging Banshee, Molly Henry. Molly, how are we? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And this was this is your idea to guest on this one, I think. Like as soon as um we mentioned it's so, like I think literally 
I think it was even might have been pre-quarantine. It feels like it's been like that long. Um, when we said we we're going to do Urban Legend, you're like, I'm in, like definitely have me on that show. And by the yeah. way, Zine is in too. Uh, and there was like no debate. It was just like, you know, like there's just no negotiating. Like we're on. That's it. Your puppers is so cute on your lap, by the way. Just <laughs> Thank you. Hanging there. So he's my tumor. Oh, <laughs> is that his name? No, Hopper's his name, but Hopper his name. Okay. Yeah. Separation anxiety makes him my tumor. Oh. We're gonna rename our dog freshman year because pretty much he is gonna cost us our daughter's freshman year of college tuition. All of a sudden done. Um, so first, welcome to the show. It's your first, our first time having you on, and we're super thrilled. Um, and I guess I want to start with uh, your background with this movie. Like, when is the first time that you saw it, and what is it about it that appeals to you so much? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think I was maybe 11 when mm -hmm. I first watched this movie. And, you know, my mom, bless her heart, she just put on movies and if you get scared, you get scared. You still mm -hmm. have to go to school tomorrow. And so, and so I don't know. I just, I really loved like the concept of it, like with the urban legend. And I loved all the characters except for one, which we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was just one of those movies that I just, I love the energy. It's like, you know, it's very fast paced. It's very in your face. And I don't know, it, this, this sounds a little bit off, but you know, I was like 11 at the time and I was just thinking to myself like, whoa, I can't wait to go to college. Yep. I don't know how that transferred to that, but it did. It makes college look, I mean, aside from the murder, um, it looks, it does make college look pretty awesome. I think we need to talk about that dorm room later on because it is bigger than some of the apartments that I've lived in. Um, definitely not a fair representation of dorm room like that you say your mom said if you get scared you get scared did you choose this movie or was mom like family movie night urban legend this is what we're gonna watch family movie night you know my mom she's a huge horror fan and mm -hmm. i have like five other brothers and sisters and so you know my mom she would just go to the video she would let us pick out stuff too but you know we would have to watch hers first because you know mm -hmm. she's like the queen and so we would we would watch it and it was just kind of like you know you could leave the room but then you would be alone so okay. we would just i would just stay and i was just so like really into it like mm -hmm. I, I don't know why i was making my eyes like that but yeah okay it's all audio so nobody will see <laughs> um what were some of the first movies your mom introduced you to so this one always comes to mind, Night of the Demons from 1988. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorites. It's, I feel like I'm always talking about this movie, but I just love it so much. Um, for some reason, uh, Cannibal Holocaust. I don't know why I was watching that at such a young, wow. but I, I feel like I'm mm -hmm. fine. Like I'm, things are good. Um, Death by Temptation, mm -hmm. which is also one of like my favorite trauma movies. But it's, you know, a lot of these movies, it's just like, it, the shocking images the blood and stuff and of course mm. I was like really scared but you know that's what made me keep on going back mm -hmm. that makes sense I hope yeah, I, don't I, I remember watching those I hope I don't regret asking this in two seconds but is your mom available to guest on the show I don't know I don't she's she's kind of shy but maybe mm -hmm. I could I could ask her. that would be cool you know oh no God, one's ever asked awesome. me that wow yeah that'd let's be cool. do it mom and daughter that would be awesome We'll talk, absolutely. Yes. Right. And Molly, how about yourself? 
I, I think I was probably about the same age, probably about 11. Um, mm -hmm. I actually don't remember if I rented it or what. I, I just remember the VHS was always in our collection. Um, and it's one of the earlier horror films that I grew an attachment to. Like my first horror film was Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and my parents never really tried to censor me. So I, I would just buy pretty much every horror film that my parents would let me. <laughs> so I'm sure at one point I just picked it out and they got it. And I think it was probably easier for them to let me watch that compared to some of the other horror that I was picking because I mean, it's slightly sexually explicit and it has swearing and stuff, but it wasn't as explicit as a lot of mm -hmm. horror. Um, so it was probably some of the more tame right. stuff that I was trying to watch. Um, but yeah, I just remember always having the VHS and it's, I would watch it all the time. I, I honestly, when I was younger, probably watched that more than any other slasher growing mm -hmm. up. It was always my go-to. So Urban Legend was like the go-to film for you, like sleepovers or just like comfort movie or just something you wanted to watch whenever. Yeah, I think it was usually rotation of like Urban Legend, Monster Squad, um, God, I can't even think. I, I mean, I had we had a huge VHS collection, so mm -hmm. I sadly I don't have any of it anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are the two that come to mind that I remember owning and watching all the time. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I know for me, like this was a theatrical film. Like this was Friday night with the friends. The first time we saw it, like any new horror movie that came out, like we were going to be like first in line of the theater around this time period to go see it. Uh, and I just remember it being a lot of fun. And I know that like, this would be part of like what I would call the second wave of slasher films that kind of emerge in the wake of Scream at the end of 1996. Mm -hmm. And that golden age is roughly, yeah, 80 to 83, where you have like your Friday the 13th, The Burning, Slumber Party Massacre, Sleepaway Camp, My Bloody Valentine, Maniac, and like many, many more. Um, this wave, like you had just mentioned, Molly, how, you know, there's some swearing in it and there's some sexually explicit content in it overall, but it's not nearly as, um, I would say, as exploitative as like the early wave of slashers. Like there's definitely a layer of gloss and respectability. Um, studios are like, holy shit, people will go actually see these movies. Let's give them a budget. Um, like Scream makes a hundred million at the box office. And now all of a sudden you get passive up and coming young starlets and stars that want to do these as opposed to like say soap opera actors, decent budgets, recognizable people, um, you know, and giving like the demographic of who they're trying to get in the theaters, like super attractive people. Um, Ruddy movie posters aside, you get real marketing. And I wonder for the both of you, like, do you have a preference? Like, I know for, it seems like for slasher movies, there's two camps. There's either the persons that love the classic 80s period of slashers. And then there's those that are like, give me like the scream era. And I wonder if you, either of you have a preference or if you can go either way. Um, for me, I can go either way. And also it kind of depends on my mood. I know we've all been there where it's just like, sometimes it's like, all right, I need to watch an eighties horror, you know, and then, oh, nope, I'm all about the seventies today. You know, so it kind of just switches um, mm -hmm. even with the nineties as well. So either or for me. Okay. Yeah, honestly, probably the same for me. Um, 
I, cause I, I, like I said, my first film was Nightmare on Elm Street. So I'm very attached to that. I'm very attached to the Halloween films because I always thought my mom looked like Jamie Lee Curtis. So it was almost like watching my mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is weird. Cause I'm like, I'm going to watch my mom run from a serial <laughs> killer. But <laughs> uh, so I've always been very attached to those films. Um, and like the Friday 13th ones are easy to watch, um, like just throw on whenever. Um, but there's something about the nineties ones that it's, I don't want, I, this is going to sound bad. If I want a smarter slasher, that's, I, I know there's probably a better way to say it, but you know what I mean? Like ones that aren't just a serial killer going after people and killing right. them and stuff. Like it has, there's a bit more to it. Like there's that, that sound bite that goes around. I can't even remember what it's from where there's like, the guy says, I love when a serial killer has a fun little thing. And I feel like that's what they did with the mm-hmm. 90s. They gave it more. Mm-hmm. just like layered. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It does seem like it's an era where the persons that are like creating these movies grew up on what had come before it and really loved it, but also maybe had more tools at their disposal at their hands. And because they were going to get on so many screens, um, more thought went into some of them overall. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I love 80s slasher movies, but let's face it, like most of them, they're pretty interchangeable with one another, right? Um, right. You get to like Friday the 13th part eight and it's like, all right, Jason's going to be on a boat. That's the hook, Jason on a boat. And there's really not much more else that goes on with it. Um, I do like the what these kind of movies tap into and like the self-awareness that these movies have overall. And to me, it's like the last, until we get to maybe the, a few years ago, it's one of the last eras where horror movies were allowed to be really fun. Like we are right around the corner, like 1998, you're right around the corner from that early 2000 period where all of a sudden horror got like really grim dark all over again. And everything mm-hmm. had like gray and green filters or like those blue gray filters over it and you had characters that absolutely despised one another and you're like why do I want to root for any of them um (laughs) so there's something about like your screams your urban legends your I still know what you did last summer is where they tend to be a little bit more fun and probably more brutal than I even remembered like at the time I always kind of thought it's kind of like slasher light films but then you watch them and they're like, no, there's some pretty intense shit going on here. Yeah, All right. Sure. So specifically Urban Legend. Then I was like watching the uh, Shout Fact, Scream Factory is a really nice Blu-ray on this with a feature length documentary with a lot of the folks that took part in it. Um, did not know this, but Silvio Horta, who one of the creators or um, real um creative influences on the show ugly betty this was his first script and he wrote it when he was like a 21 year old perfume salesman um he like literally dropped off the script at a meeting and then it's like i have to head to nordstrom to like do perfume samples right now which is kind of awesome um director jamie blanks he feels like when you see his story he's one of us like Mm -hmm. He talks about like the documentary is kind of neat because they show little clips of these movies he made with his friends back in Australia, um, where it was just him with a VCR. They would make these really gory practical effects. 
and it was them like how can we smash a bunch of heads in and then he would edit them on like a dual deck vcr um he talks about deborah hill a lot and how like at age 12 the fog was the first horror movie that he had ever got to go see uh at like a repertoire i guess and also like you know he said at the time in australia horror was like the bastard stepchild of everything like there weren't wasn't a lot going on um and after seeing the fog he fe- really fell in love with the genre he has a student film you can find on youtube called silent caller that makes the rounds and he gets on the radar so much so he gets sent the script to scream and they're like what would you do with this kid and he sends in his notes but obviously say, well you're not west craven so craven mm-hmm. gets the gig he then lobbies really hard for I Know What You Did Last Summer um, to the point where he spends five grand out of pocket and wow. creates his own trailer based on the script that he had in his hand. Doesn't get it because he'd already, he had already signed Gillespie, but based on just that trailer, he's offered this movie, Urban Legend, um, right away. They're like, this is your mm-hmm. movie to make. And what's neat about it is everyone that talks about this movie talks about how young he was, but also how much fun they had making this movie. Uh, it was a really loose set. It was basically them um, hitting the bars every night. I think um, one of the things they talk about is Loretta Devine, basically like closing down every strip joint in Toronto uh, <laughs> when they would go out at night. Like she was the last one to leave, uh, you know, putting all the young bucks to shame at that point, which was really fun. Um, so yeah, anything to add in the background that you guys looked up or no, not, not for right. me, no. Okay. Um, so urban legends, like I got want to ask you both, like what are your takes on like what an urban legend actually is? I think it brings up like a bunch of different yeah, connotations. So I feel like I feel like when I think about an urban legend, it's always like, okay, well, I know a girl who this happened to, mm-hmm. you know, so that's always what, what comes to mind. But as of lately, I feel like I've been coming across, I'll, I'll hear about something. It's just like, wait a minute, didn't that really happen? Like you really believe it. And then luckily we have Google, so you can Google these things. And um, yeah, you find out sometimes that it is real. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, that's, that's what I think. Yeah, I feel like a lot of them are kind of, very demented cautionary tales (laughs) that and they it's like you said it's always told where oh I actually know someone that this happened to or a friend of a friend right this happened to them um and it's but I feel like they most of the time have some kind of message that they're trying to say like like one of the ones in the film is the flashing your lights like don't flash your headlights at anyone or you might get killed (laughs) which I actually have never done that probably because of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I feel like a lot of times it's more realistic. Sometimes I feel like there's a little bit of supernatural stuff that can s- sneak in there. Um, yeah. But, and especially I feel like kind of the updated version of urban legends, because like you said, we have Google, I feel like now it's creepy pasta. Right. I feel like a lot of those, like, like with Slender Man, it got told so much that now it's, there are people who believe that, this is a mm-hmm. real thing. Um, so I feel like that's kind of the modern age version of an urban legend. <laughs> that seems like the most recent one, like definitely the idea of that slender dude just kind of creeping. And what is his deal? Cause I think that kind of <laughs> passed me by. I think I was just like, 
just past the wave where I, I'm like, I'm too old. I definitely hit like the Murtog. I'm too old for this shit to look up right now at this point. Like, what is Slenderman? I don't even know. I doesn't he try to make like teenagers kill each other? Yeah, that- like I thought he called. Like you have to call him, and then he'll show up, and mm-hmm. you just start seeing him everywhere. So, so I, I, I think that's too, I'm too old for that too to know I mean, what's going on. <laughs> so I, think, right. I think you and I are the same age. So, is he Candyman or a low carb diet? If you call him out at that point, <laughs> I think so. I think he's like a new Candyman or new Bloody Mary. Okay, um, interesting. But I think that he doesn't actually do any killing. I think mm-hmm. he tries to make you kill mm-hmm. someone else. Okay, the gist of it. Okay. See, I think of like, the, when I think of urban legends, I think of like Aesop's fables and you have these kind of little morality tales or you have like the parables in the Bible where there's basically these short little stories that like teach a moral lesson, like the tortoise and the hare, slow and steady wins the race. Um, and then you would have in the middle ages, like Grimm's fairy tales, which were a lot darker than the sanitized ones we read our kids now, but you would have these little, morality stories meant for children to kind of teach them a lesson like don't go off with strangers like be aware of your surroundings that type of always mind your parents type of deal and now these urban legends they kind of feel like a way to make sense of the world around you and they Mm -hmm. psychologically kind of give people a way to kind of reinforce their own worldview like see you know if you go off and have sex in a car with your boyfriend as opposed to staying home and studying a dude with a hook is going to like break the window and murder murderize you at that point so (laughs) there are these definite little moral tales that people tell but now um xena you mentioned like hey with google we can look these up and see like oh this didn't really happen but right you know with there's also things like false news and deep fakes where it's really easy to fake something at this point and make True. it look like it's really happened. Um, it's really easy to like, and I know like the Steve Bannon has said this, like one of the ways that we're going to dominate the political field is we're going to flood the zone with shit. Basically we're going to release so much false information all at once that it's going to be impossible to fact check it all in real time. Mm-hmm. And some stuff is going to get through at that point. Um, I don't know. Did anyone see today? Like, was Kurt Russell canceled earlier today because people said he was a Trump supporter? Oh, I, I, might I don't think that. he is. Oh, I didn't either. I know that he said on the record, like, I don't really talk politics. It's not my place. I, I'm, I'm, I follow, I follow Goldie on mm-hmm. <laughs> Instagram, and I'm pretty sure she's not. So I'd be surprised if he was. I think she would leave him. I think Goldie is <laughs> yeah. enough to leave. She doesn't take but, that shit. <laughs> It was really easy. Like what I saw was this like picture of him and this quote attributed to him about supporting Trump. And it was like no actual news article associated with it. It was Mm. just this image shared tens of thousands of times, but nothing to back it up at that Mm. point. So it's really easy to spread stuff. And then there's the Mandela effect where you feel like, oh yeah, this thing definitely happened. Uh, it's attributed to people believing Nelson Mandela died in the mid nineties and really said, yeah, it was on this news report. I remember like I was in my kitchen, I heard it on BBC two and it's like, nope, that never happened. It doesn't exist. 
Um, but we have these specific memories or instances of things happening like that. I thought kind of tied into it as well. Um, do either of you have any like real specific like urban legends you heard? Anything that really stuck with you growing up that like kind of like, I think that like you said, Zena, I think I have a friend of a friend of a friend where that actually happened to. Yes. Um, well, I have a couple because I, I love urban legends. They're my jam. But um, the first one that comes to mind. So living in New York, rats in the toilet. I've heard from people that they said that that's a thing, that that happened. Mm -hmm. Then when I moved to Florida, someone told me snakes in the toilet. And it's just like, <laughs> I feel like I can't really escape that. So it's just like people like make a, like such a big deal about you know, like keeping the bathroom door closed and keeping the toilet seat down because like a snake might bite you or it'll be so shocking. And it's just like, I mean, I believe it because it's just like, there are snakes here. And then even when mm -hmm. I was living in New York, there are rats. So, I mean, I know that's not really like horrific like that, but that's something that definitely pops up in my brain. I would say getting bitten on the ass <laughs> by a snake while you're trying to <laughs> take a dookie would be... Yeah. Pretty horrific. I would say, <laughs> not, not what we're looking for. <laughs> Does that tie into like alligators in the sewers from like getting? Yeah, like which is just it had me thinking about that movie um, from 1980, um, Alligator, where mm -hmm. like this family they had like these little baby alligators and like they flushed them down the toilet, but somehow they survive, and you know they just they they eat like and like bugs and stuff and and somehow they end up in the sewer and they're killing off bums and it's just it's crazy so yeah i mean where did that come from oh man i don't know <laughs> um molly how about you i i think most of mine like i don't have any specific ones where it's like i actually heard a friend and a friend that this happened to but some of the big ones that i always remember hearing are the alligator in the sewer um the the call coming from inside the house while the babysitter mm -hmm. is with the kids like that's when I remember hearing all the time um I was never a babysitter for that reason <laughs> um aside from my nephews but they don't count mm -hmm. um and god oh and like Bloody Mary like that was one like I remember when I was 10 at sleepovers doing Bloody Mary in the in the bathroom because we were idiots because um, if it was real, what did we think we were going to do about it? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just the big ones like that, I always remember hearing all the time, especially I feel like the, the alligator in the sewer was one I remember hearing all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's I I'm originally from California, but I most of my formative years were in Washington. It's like an alligator wouldn't survive in the sewers of Washington. Like, like That's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's too cold there most of the time. I think for me, it was definitely the hook hand man. Like that is one of the ones that like really jumped out to me uh, in terms of like, this is, you know, the two lover, the two people at lover's lane and they hear mm. the scraping. So they leave. And then when they get home, like the hook is embedded in the window, like that one. Mm. And um, the other one was, yeah, the check the children was one like it's like similar to the babysitter in the house um mm -hmm. and I was a babysitter growing up like I used to watch my sister and I would pretend that I was like Freddy Krueger and like lock myself in the room and like bang on the door and then really freak her out and then like the <laughs> neighbors across the street I would like watch their kids um but you would hear the 
you know, like check the children, like, and then you find out the calls coming from inside, like those two really stuck out. Um, Definitely. How do you both feel like this movie does with integrating um, like the idea of urban legends into the actual, like kind of like the plot of the movie overall? Is it integrated well, or is it kind of like, this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I, I feel like for in this one that they did a good job with it because they did cover like different ones. And that's something that I, I really enjoyed. And that sounds off. I enjoyed seeing, you know, just mm-hmm. seeing like the different stories um, because they're still like the one with the dog microwave. That one always comes to mind all the time, um, which is terrible. But yeah, I think that for this one and the first one, they did a great job with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have never heard the dog in the microwave one. No, no. Like that was not what I was. I had never <laughs> heard that before. I think for the most part, they do a really good job of integrating it. Um, and just, they, it makes the kills more memorable. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm, there's a specific friend <laughs> that I, we're, we're frenemies only when it comes to this movie, because he always argues that this movie's terrible. And I always argue that it's better than mm-hmm. I know what you did last summer. I think would I know be, what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> would that be Ryan Larson or would that be? No, no. Is that would J- that be Jinx? It's Jinx. Jinx? Yeah. I right. know it. I'm gonna text him and let him know. I like I one of the reasons why I was excited to come on this and talk about this movie because I was like, haha, jinx. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But it's I I think that the in this age of slashers because they were like new and interesting and screamed at something new and interesting. Like I I love I know what you did last summer. I especially think the sequence with Sarah Michelle Gellar is absolutely fantastic. Yes. But these kills are just so like creative and unique and memorable. Mm-hmm. It made it different than slashers that we had seen before. Right. And I love the integration. And it's, I feel like it almost was ahead of its time because I feel like kind of what we're seeing with what we saw in that film with them copying urban le- legends and making them real kills. Mm-hmm. We're kind of seeing that now. Like we were talking about Slenderman earlier and those two kids stabbed their friend to death and said, Slenderman made them do it. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like we're seeing people actually doing that now, like using urban legends and creating kills off of that. Like mm. people who should right. be institutionalized, but still. Um, and I also, I think the only kill in the entire movie that I, I was not as excited about because it felt kind of lazy and rushed and like they weren't really sticking to the urban legend part was Michael Rosenbaum's. Mm-hmm. Um, because I wasn't it supposed to be like the pop rocks thing? Because didn't they put? I because I feel like they put like drainage fluid, not or like cleaning fluid. Yeah, but I, it's I definitely like Drano down his. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then I think they did pop rocks too to make it like the Coke and pop rocks thing. Ooh. And that I that one just felt like they weren't as committed mm-hmm. <laughs> to the urban legend theme. But other than that, I thought they were great. I feel like you might have been in a little bit of a rush because it's like the one bathroom in the frat house during a party. Yeah, after you just killed the dude's dog. Right. (laughs) We don't have the time to like dump a gallon of Coke down his stomach and, you know, 10 pounds of Pop Rocks. People got to go. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah, I I can understand that. What would be the urban legend, though, for like Tara Reid's death? I think it was the supposed to be like what the... um, the guy at the party, the nerdy guy, had told her about how mm-hmm. the scream and the song was a oh. real 911 call. Oh, right. I think it was supposed to be that. Excellent. Like her scream on the in on the radio. Like, is it real? Like, 
And then of mm-hmm. course he's faking it. She's like, oh, it's so good. It gave me chills. <laughs> that is a really good catch. I would have missed that. Okay. Excellent. So the only one that doesn't really fit is Michael Rosenbaum. It's what we think. I think Which, I, I mean, no. It, I, it does, but it's just not as not as committed. But it still fits. It's just the laziest of them all. Mm-hmm. I think that they wanted to make it more brutal. Yeah. You know, because honestly, I mean, that Pop Rocks candy, it's delicious, you know? <laughs> so, you know, just to... <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking about that right now, but you know, it is pretty good, but obviously like if you're just like shoving all that down someone's throat and then this just to top it off, like some type of like toxic chemical adding it to it, that just makes it, I don't know, over the top. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it adds again to like that creativity of the the kills and everything. Yeah. And I guess in reality, like pop, we know pop rocks and soda combined doesn't do anything. So they would have to use something else to actually kill him. So yeah. And having that funnel shoved down his throat was really disgusting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a great death. I mean, it's a great sequence from start to finish. Like, it's it's pretty kill. It's, I think, one of the better ones of the movie overall in terms of just, like, its brutality. Um, mm-hmm. It is interesting when you see who the killer is at the end, like, because this seems like a very, I mean, hulking, kind of, like, very strong killer. And then it's, like, the Noxima girl who... <laughs> um who was my forever crush um but you know it's just basically like i don't know if she could get away with some of those things but that's all right Um, i mean she was a swimmer she probably had really strong arms Mm -hmm. good point she was she was angry so Mm -hmm. you can do some stuff when you're angry it's like that like mom lifting a car off their baby strength Mm -hmm. but (laughs) crazy serial killer but with crazy so, so it would be like a mom dropping a car on their baby at that point <laughs> just angry um i do what i like about this movie too is i like the slashers where it's a whodunit versus um just like and i think that's one of the things that these this like series of, or this period of horror is going for it's less about let's create this iconic new killer and more about let's try to figure out who the killer is, which you had some of that in the eighties with like my bloody Valentine and happy birthday to me and sleepaway camp. Um, And I I just, for some reason, find those like a hell of a lot of fun. It's like Scooby-Doo with a bit more murder going on (laughs) to it. And it's not a cheat like it is in um, the original Friday the 13th where it's like, Oh, the killer is this person you've, never been introduced to before (laughs) no so um all right so let's talk a little bit about this cast of characters overall um and zina i'm gonna kick it to you you mentioned you like everyone in this cast except for one person so i'm gonna let you start let's let's go negative and then we'll okay all right I'm, i'm ready I don't like the main character, Natalie. I think that she's annoying. She's naggy. She's a snob. She thinks she's better than people. And she's always whining. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I'm always talking about this one part, but it's the part after her roommate, Tosh, they they find her body and the Dean and Reese, they're talking to her, you know, just, I'm sorry. I, I, I just see her in my mind and I got upset. So they're talking to her. And they're asking her, well, they're telling her like, hey, are you sure that this happened? And the first time she's like, 
you know, they're like, hey, well, maybe this happened. And she's like, no, you know, it was just like very whiny. And then they asked her something else. And then she's like, no. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was just so, I was so annoyed where she's like, I was like, please, please, Brenda, kill her, kill her. You know, it's like, I sound like Pamela Voorhees, <laughs> kill her, you know? <laughs> but, and then, okay, Jared Leto's character, I don't really know what Brenda saw in him, like, he just sucked as a journalist because right. kind of like, what have you been doing? Like, you know, I, like with your notes, like I read that, like, what have you mm-hmm. been doing all these years? Right. Like, so I, but anyway, we'll, we'll definitely get to Jared Leto shortly. Cause I have some thoughts. Yeah. About Mr. Jordan Catalino. Um, yeah. yeah and- I, I see that about Natalie. Like I had put down here, like kind of like as far as like your heroines go, she's kind of down the middle. Like she's definitely very snobbish. She's definitely really standoffish. Um, the moment when she comes in and is like super annoyed because her roommate is on the computer, like, oh, you know, and I think for a lot of people are probably looking at that scene going, what, why can't she just, A, what is that she's holding in her hand right now? Like that would be a, a landline phone. And B, <laughs> like, why can't she use it when her roommate's on the computer? Like, we used to have a thing called dial-up internet. We would have to <laughs> right. dial out and get this like weird, crunchy AOL sound. Um, it's like, hey, like he doesn't even ask like, oh, do you mind if I make a call in a few minutes? Like she immediately assumes like, hey, I want to use the phone right now. Ergo, exactly. you have to get off. Like, yeah, I mean, so it- just walked in the door. Yeah. So what, why right? is she entitled to immediately, like, you don't know, mm-hmm. maybe Tasha just gotten on the computer. <laughs> right. Or that it's just like, she's on the computer. You see what she's, what do you think that she's doing? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. She's just terrible. Yeah, definitely. Like, this is an era of movies. And I think like, and I love Scream. It is one of my top five favorite movies. Um, but my God, there is a lot of rich kid privilege in that movie. Um I still know what you did last summer. It's like the poor kid lives in like a super posh, like beachside community. Um, So all of these movies are about like super rich kids that are at like a privileged junior Ivy League college. And it's kind of hard to feel super bad for these kids. Like a lot of them are kind of assholes. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, you're like, maybe Joshua Jackson had it coming. Um, (laughs) I like Alicia Witt as an actress. Um, the first thing I saw her in, there's this movie called Fun, and you can actually find it on YouTube because it's not playing anywhere else, but she plays this 13-year-old sociopath where her and a friend end up like murder. And I think it's, if I remember correctly, it's told in kind of flashbacks. They end up like murdering an elderly naval for the fun of it. Um, Mm. I have this distinct memory of like watching it at my aunt's at like two in the morning um, when I would like have a sleepover there but it says it came out in 94 and I'm like I would have been in college I wouldn't have been doing that (laughs) but I could be wrong I remember it as being like pretty intense for like a direct-to-video movie and I thought she was great in that and I guess she's gone on to do to your point Zena like this is the her character of Natalie would absolutely watch Alicia Witt movies in 2020 because <laughs> Alicia Witt is now like the queen of Hallmark Christmas movies Aww. like she's done a half dozen of them and you can totally see Natalie curling up in like her socks <laughs> that say 
if my if you can read these socks i'm watching a hallmark christmas movie <laughs> you could totally see her doing that and you look no disrespect no joke like that's a pretty like those movies draw in millions of people god love her like if that's what she's doing now not my bag um but like she's done a ton of these things and seems to be doing pretty well with it I forgot to look this up ahead of time, but wasn't she in season two of The Exorcist as well? I don't know. I'm not too sure. Let's look it up. Let's look it up <laughs> in real time right now. Because um, I'm pretty sure that she was. What is yes. she in? She was the in end? season two. Okay. Um, I loved that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, it's so funny because honestly, I, she's, I don't know if it was the directing that made her like this, but her performance is not great in this film. Like mm-hmm. she, she is the weakest link of the cast. <laughs> um, but I feel like she's, she's just good enough that I can ignore her for the most part and focus on the fun deaths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's so funny that like how awful she really is in this. And then, but she was really great in the exorcist season two. She played it uh, hard to explain. She, she was a dead person okay. <laughs> in the exorcist season two. Um, I saw the first season of that show and really liked it. And I've started season two twice and just like no reason just fell off watching it. So oh, I, I have it. to go I back to and watch season two. Okay. That's another show that was gone way too soon. Oh, for sure. People did not appreciate the delightful no. queer priest. Ugh, mm-hmm. Love it. And John Chow in season two, right? Yes. And he's okay. amazing in that. Okay. Oh my God. I, he's amazing in everything though. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. I will have to rewatch. I'll have to like, cause you don't need to rewatch season one. I think it's pretty self-contained. I mean, it's the, the same two priests, but yeah, right. it's, it's not, I don't think there's a lot in season one that you would need to rehash. Okay. I'll go back and I'll start season. As soon as I'm done, the great British bake off. That'll be the next yes. thing I watch. So. Oh. I love that. Everybody watches that show. It makes me so happy. Yeah. Well, my wife is British, so it's her thing. And I'm like, oh. I'm not watching a baking show. And all of a sudden I'm like, this is delightful. <laughs> Absolutely soothing. All right. So you had mentioned Jared Leto really briefly. Let's, let's move on to Mr. Paul. In this one, Mr. Jared Leto himself. Um, I thought it was really weird that when he got fired from the newspaper, that he was like, I'm not going to get a job because like, I won't have a portfolio. I'm like, dude, you're graduating in two weeks. Like, where is the past three and a half years? And you've already also pointed out how you've won two student Pulitzers for like articles on bad hamburger meat. So shouldn't you already be working on this shit? Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get his deal. And honestly, what's with him being so obsessed with, you know, the paper? You don't want to do anything else. You want to experience college. He just only cares about the paper. Yeah. He's that he has a thing. Like the magical character that has like a thing and that that's the thing we're going to beat into the ground. So everybody realized he's a reporter. Yeah, I feel like that he's the paper equivalent of like Tasha's character, how her only character was that she was goth and into lithium. Like, and that was it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's it. I feel like that they made him kind of one dimensional and hoped that his looks would carry. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I mean, 
the nice thing is that is that because he's so one-dimensional and so focused that it makes him a good kind of red herring which is yeah. good like you never sure. know how involved he is until the end right. so that's good at least but yeah he's I almost wonder if he was implying that like he would not necessarily not have a portfolio, but by getting fired from the paper, he, he wouldn't be able to say like, I was editor in chief of this Mm -hmm. college paper. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Maybe, I don't know. I'm making excuses for him now. Until I was fired (laughs) in disgrace. Um, I've always like, I've never understood the appeal of Jared Leto. Um, I've always thought he's had like the charisma of a sack lunch left out in the sun too long. Like just totally not my thing. And I know like, I feel like, what was this band? Like 30 seconds, 30 seconds to Mars. Mars. I feel like it's a kid of like nineties emo and pop punk that his, he's kind of ruined emo music in a lot of ways. So just like totally wasn't my thing whatsoever. Um, and there's like no chemistry between him and Alicia Witt whatsoever. Yeah. Like none. They that might be more because of her, though, after we talked about her performance. Possibly. I mean, I feel like it's it's kind of like, I'm not saying we have to see step by step, but it was just kind of like, okay, and obviously this is this is by preference, but Alicia Wood's character, she's, you know, Natalie, she just looks so troubled. Even before all the, the killings, she just looked mm-hmm. very bothered, and not even by schoolwork. Like, she's just, she's bothered by being in school you know and then with her friend brenda she seems fun she's always very upbeat but not like annoying and she has an interest in you like she's saying hi to you paul so it's just it's just very weird that he 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 went to the boring girl and it's like all right well (laughs) fine i guess but then on top of that it's just like when did that happen when did you like her like when did you start to like her when did that attraction come? Right. Is she just a story that you're trying to get the first scoop to? So you figured I might as well. She's just date her, you know? And isn't it weird that like Brenda's whole motive for revenge is like avenging her fiance's death, but all of a sudden she's really hung up on Paul. Like, you know, like I'm going to murder all these people because they killed the love of my life. <laughs> yet now I'm really sad that Paul is making out with my best friend. I feel like I'm making excuses for characters because (laughs) now I'm going to make excuses for her too. That's totally fine. I I almost feel like, especially with how she reacted to him coming at the end, I feel like she wasn't really that interested in him. I feel like she was playing a part. Mm-hmm. as like the normal college girl to get mm-hmm. close because at the end when he's like oh yeah we'll do this together she's like you're cute Paul but you're not that fucking cute mm-hmm. <laughs> right <laughs> um I feel like I don't even know she said fucking I just add that in there mm-hmm. <laughs> she should have said it like that <laughs> but I, I I get the vibe that she's it's part of the character that she's playing Mm-hmm. to be yeah. to get closer to these people to be able to kill them i think there's like one moment where she runs off and is by herself and is in tears though and there's like nobody around her like when she sees them making out like she kind of runs away and has her own little moment and i'm just that like, was her excuse to go kill mm-hmm. that's true okay that's true as well and plus um, i mean she probably thought that natalie would come after her but you know natalie doesn't care like mm-hmm. I know she tried yeah. to find she didn't really try yeah. so you could have found her like you could have <laughs> yeah. absolutely found her you know um I like the idea of like Brenda's plot is so 
all right, I'm going to, it's, it's going to hinge on number one, the two girls that are responsible for her fiance's death, um, going to the same college as one another. So that has to happen. So she has to then apply to the same university as the two girls do. Um, and you have to imagine that like the girls are on probation. So they don't even know if they're going to get into college. So you have to apply pretty late and that's a really posh school. So I wonder like the hoops she had to do to get into that university. And then they're not freshmen, right? Like they've been there, like they're about to graduate. Yeah. That's what I thought. He waits four years to become best friends with one of them. And then like right before graduation, it's like, Oh shit. I have to get in all those things I wanted to do before college ends and I have to join the real world. I have to get them in. And that includes a murder spree. I love that. Like the level of detail and hoops that she has to jump through to make this plan work is just, she comes that close. It's so great. I love her dedication. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She had a plan. She, okay. This is, of course she is psychotic. Let's, but talk, that, that, let's talk Brenda and her psychosis. I love Brenda. Yeah, but and that's the thing. Like we we love her and we want her to win. It's just kind of like, yes, it was horrible what she what she did. Very, very horrible. But at the same time, she was hurt. She lost the love of her life. Then these two girls, they get they're on probation. They got off. They get to go to college. She was supposed to experience something with, with the love of her life. And now look at her. What is she supposed? I would never do this, by the way. And I'm not <laughs> trying to say I would do this. But, you know, I, in a way, it's just kind of like, you know, something, you know, I, I see it. I would never. I see it. Like, it makes sense. You know, sometimes when someone's like, they, they reveal why they're the killer. It's just like, what? But mm -hmm. in her case, it, it makes sense. But my only thing is, with Brenda, I think that she... She obviously didn't get away with it, but also I think that she should have just only took it out on Natalie and the other girl. Mm -hmm. Like at, the, at that point, just there's no need to include uh, the staff, the faculty, you know, her friends. It's just like at this point, any her roommate, she didn't even do anything. You mm -hmm. know, she was just moody. So mm -hmm. I don't know. You, you just kind of root for Brenda. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like in Scream where Sydney, they fuck with Sydney a lot before they actually try to kill her. So you right. have like, and I think I asked this on a show that um, I just did on my other podcast. Like, do we think that like when they initially break into her home or where they try to corner her in the bathroom, like would they actually kill her or are they playing cat and mouse there just to kind of like, I, and I think I called it like salt the meat, like they do in it, like that they want to make her feel more afraid before they reveal themselves. And I feel like Brenda wants to really make um, really make Natalie feel terrified before she actually kills her. Um, and I don't know why the other character played by Natasha Richardson, I don't know why she doesn't get the same treatment. Like she's just killed off. But mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, then again, we're trying to explain like psychosis. So, yeah. you know. I feel like she probably had to also kill more than just those two. Cause I feel like if she only killed the two girls involved in her fiance's death, it would be kind of obvious who did it uh, or at least right. vastly narrow down the suspects. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, again, I, man, I like to make excuses for people. I, <laughs> I don't know okay. if any of this is right. Um, but that's, 
I mean, I assume that it was partly because she wanted to mess with Natalie as mm-hmm. much as possible, mm-hmm. but also because she needed to make sure she had a big enough body count that it wouldn't be obvious that uh, she'd done it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And I, I always thought that Natalie got it the worst because she was the one that was driving. I thought, no, was it, wasn't was she? The other girl was the no, one driving. The other was, girl oh, was I driving. thought that she was the one that was driving. No, no it was it was her car, but the other girl was yeah. driving. Natalie oh. is like, I told her to stop. I told her to slow down, oh my gosh. but she wouldn't okay. listen to me. And like the other girl's like cackling in the driver's seat, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just totally like, totally in that zone. Whoa, uh, okay, yeah. I adore Rebecca Gayhart in this. Movie. Oh yeah, um, she absolutely knows the movie she's in. And the moment of her, like, big, like, her Pamela Voorhees moment is so wonderful and so over the top and just, like, deliciously played is, like, pure camp to the point where she has a fucking PowerPoint slideshow <laughs> to explain, here's why I did everything and here's how I did it. And it's just, like, that Bond villain moment where I just, like, more villains need a PowerPoint to explain. Yeah. It. She has so many good right. one-liners in that moment mm-hmm. too. Like she's like, "Lucky for you, Miss Thing." <laughs> <laughs> and, and when she's, uh, what does she say to Reese? Oh, rent a cop to the rescue. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. She has right. so many good lines in such a short amount of time when it's revealed that she's the killer, and she mm-hmm. just goes full balls to the wall. And I absolutely love her yeah. for it. Like if I ever am in a movie, I want to play a villain and be able to be like her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my goal in life. Yeah, but and- I mean. She kind of wasted time with the PowerPoint. You know, mm-hmm. she could have just off her. And, but I, I was more thrown off again with Natalie because the first thing that she did, like after, like, you know, uh, Brenda ripped the tape off, she was yelling out why. And the way she, it just, it just makes you cringe. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, don't even explain it. Just get rid of her. Like, mm-hmm. be on your way to Mexico. Just get out of there. You know? <laughs> We're ready for her to die now. It's fine. And I know like Alicia Witt talks about that scene. She's like, that was legitimately terrifying. Um, like, cause Rebecca Gayhart was just like jumping on her and like beating on her. She was like, you know, the day before my then boyfriend flew up to Toronto to visit. We had this romantic day out, you know, it was really wonderful. You know, it's my first real film shoot. And, you know, it was like the most romantic day I've had. And then the next day I'm strapped down to a bed and this crazy lady is like kicking the shit out of me all day long. And it's like, she was legitimately scary. So, you know, Rebecca Gayhart, the former Mrs. Dylan's wife in Beverly Hills, 90210, gone too soon from that show. Like, yeah, great, great villain in this movie. And I really wish that, you know, it's teased at the end of this movie that, you know, she's at, yeah. I, I will say this, I want to see the transfer interview, like when she's at this other university, like what is that interview like? So why did you leave your previous school? You know, I, I want to know. Yeah, <laughs> just like, let me tell you what happened. Like what a story that. <laughs> um, I also love they they actually made the Noxima girl joke at the end of that yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Because that's like, other than this movie, what I knew her from the most were, were those commercials, the Noxima yes. commercials. Mm-hmm. So it was so perfect that they threw that in at the end. It was, it was. And they are not afraid to like, the next character we'll talk about, like Joshua Jackson's Damon, where they have the 
um i don't want to wait till my life <laughs> yes. is over and it's great you know <laughs> so like, perfect it is and it's like i like a movie that will not be afraid to kind of like not take itself too seriously and have its head up its ass to like you know like ari Aster would never make this joke in a movie no. you know like robert eggers would rather cut off his right hand than make a joke <laughs> like that in a movie but it's fun you know it's absolutely a good time so what do we think of damon in this movie like joshua jackson's kind of like prankster character like his, I know he was kind of sleazy and gross, um, but I like his character. Like, I was hoping that he was going to be around a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I would I mean, rather have had him around than Parker. I liked him way more than Parker. True. I like Parker. See, Joshua Jackson to me is always like, he thinks he's way more charming than he actually is in every role that he plays. Um, and I'll say this in 2020, it seems like it's the year that people want to cancel uh, Randy Meeks. And I'm sorry, if Randy Meeks is going to get canceled, then dude, Parker from, I mean, Damon from Urban Legend is way worse. Yeah, it's way can't. Why Randy? They say he's an incel. Um, he's like film Twitter or like the reply guy <laughs> in a nutshell. I they, mean, they, they're not wrong, but I still not. don't think they're, he should be canceled. Yeah. It was I a different era. I would say that Randy Meeks knows that he's on the outer peripheral of that friend group and mm-hmm. that he's doing anything he can to hang on by a thread. But his growth from Scream 1 to Scream 2 in terms of being a good friend, and he's never creepy around Sydney, even though he's obviously in love with her. Um, I think there's room for growth. You know, that's all. <laughs> Um, but you know, yet Damon is like, "Hey, I'm going to drive you to this secluded yeah. neck of the woods <laughs> and tell you about my fake Canadian girlfriend that died." <laughs> like, he's not, he's not a good guy. Yeah, I mean, he is super sleazy, and mm-hmm. realistically, like, he's the epitome of what we all hate in frat boys. Mm-hmm. But I will always have a deep love for Joshua Jackson. <laughs> I okay. can't help it. <laughs> So even when he's a douchebag in this, I'm like, oh, you're so cute. Is it a, is it a <laughs> pacey thing? With your awful bleach blonde hair. I, for me, I think it's probably a pacey thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I just accepted him. Plus, I, I'm know, probably going to get in trouble for this, but I've n- never watched Dawson's that's Creek. Okay. That's all it's right. okay. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I only watched um probably like the first three seasons. And I, I was getting so overwhelmed. Like, I didn't watch it as a kid because my little brain couldn't. But, mm-hmm. you know, I watched it. A couple of years ago, and I just got exhausted. So <laughs> I had to stop. Going on that show. Kids coming out of other kids' windows and stuff, and it's mm-hmm. just like, how is that a thing? I wasn't allowed to be out past eight. Like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I remember that. I rem- and that's a very Kevin Williamson. The people are always climbing into other people's windows, and Kevin Williamson jams. Like there's a lot of window climbing in his. That's his trope. Like some people have like a thing like Alfred Hitchcock, like I cameo and everything. Kevin Williamson, like people are climbing in through bedroom windows. Like, <laughs> definitely, definitely his thing. So you, um, Molly, just said you're not a fan of Parker in this. I think he's he's a dickhead, but he's kind of a delightful dickhead in this. Movie. <laughs> I mean, he is pure chaos. Um, mm-hmm. And it's I, I love Michael Rosenbaum. Absolutely love him. Um, I didn't mean the character is funny, but he he beer bongs his dog like mm-hmm. that that's not cool with me 
yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, and he was going to pierce the dog's nose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel so bad for that dog at, mm-hmm. in Parker's hands. So I just, I, I can't help but hate him. But mm-hmm. I do, I also kind of love him because he's obnoxious. Right. Because <laughs> you're right, he is just like, he just wants to fuck with people. And he mm-hmm. really hates Jared Leto's character in this. So he kind of goes up a couple notches in my book for that reason alone. He always came off to me that he was one of those guys that where she well, you know who my father is? You know, mm-hmm. so oh, just yeah. always using that as leverage. It's like, dude, you are too mm-hmm. old for that. But- yeah. I could see him if he survived going back and hanging out at the university for like 10 years after he graduated, like trying to get into the parties. Like he definitely would have been like the basis for that movie old school. Like it would have been Luke Wilson's character in old school, (laughs) Um, basically 10 years later going back. I'll say this, like Michael Rosenbaum, like watching the documentary and listening to the commentary in preparation, the biggest takeaway that I got from it is like Michael Rosenbaum needs to be in more things because he oh, yeah. is like super charming and like really charismatic. And here's my question for both of you. Where does Michael Rosenbaum rank in terms of people that have played Lex Luthor? Ooh. Hmm. Honestly, I can only think of two. Mm-hmm. Him and was it Jesse Eisenberg? Jesse Eisenberg, also yeah. Gene Hackman, Superman one and two. See, Kevin I, I haven't watched those. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so between him and Jesse Eisenberg, he's number one. Fair enough. <laughs> it's official. Michael Rosenberg is the best. Hello, Sammy. He is the best. <laughs> he is the best Lex Luthor. Good boy. Yeah. Um, I mean, he. I the only reason I really watched Smallville was because of him. Mm-hmm. I, I stopped watching Aww. it after a while, but I loved him yeah. on that show. First two seasons of that show were great, and then it kind of got to be a bit much after a while. Mm. So I think that's about when I stopped watching. Yeah. All right. Um, do we have anything to say about Tara Reed, her college DJ character of Sasha? I love her. Um, you hate her? No, I love her. Oh, this <laughs> is... I mean, I, I felt bad for her character, you know? She was just doing her job. She was being responsible, you know, trying to balance, you know, having a good time, but then actually doing what she needs to do. And I mean, it sucks that she died. And I'm sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I thought she was the most likable character in this film. Interesting. What made her super likable? I mean, because she, she was very, like, chill and down to earth, and she would try to rein Parker in when he was being an asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and she was nice to everyone, and yeah. she had a cool job, and she, like, I liked her style and stuff. Um, and honestly, probably the best Tara Reid performance I've ever seen. Oh, mm-hmm. same. She, like, I lo- love her. Like, and her screams in this movie are so yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just, I love her. I think and her sequence is great. I think that's her hang when they, that sequence where she's um, clinging to the stairs. I think that's actually her in that sequence. Like, I think she did her wow. own stunt oh. in that. Because Jamie Blanks talks about how he's like, Yeah, we wanted to get like that scaffold back under her like super quick, like as soon as that was over and how game she went. I'm pretty sure that he was saying that she was the one doing that stunt. Um, it made her character made me miss college radio and being a college radio dj i got 
I got kicked out of off college radio my junior year and then promptly quit school because of like my selection of music. Um, there was a band out of Boston called the Showcase Showdown and they have a song called Fuck You Norway, which is the closest. <laughs> Fuck You Norway like 30 times or a pogo punk band. And I got a call from like the general manager, like you need to like get out of there right now. You can't be. <laughs> so I quit school, but I miss college i don't know like is college radio still a thing i remember late 80s early 90s you would hear like Ten Thousand maniacs before they were big like who's do the replacements nirvana before they were on a major label um and you would find all this like weird esoteric music and i don't think that exists anymore i think that's just like hmm i mean it's been a hot minute since <laughs> i was mm-hmm. in college but i'm pretty sure when I was getting my bachelor's, I'm pretty sure the college I went to had a radio station. Mm-hmm. But I think like, I know when I went to grad school, they had a college radio station. This was a couple years ago, but the kids were playing like soft rock. Like you would hear like Hall and Oates. And I'm like, this is really weird to me. Like you, it would be like a light, like easy listening station. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is definitely my old man yells at a crowd moment, a cloud <laughs> moment, because like, I really miss that, like being able to find like weird punk shit and mm-hmm. EJ Harvey and Matter Rose and stuff like that. And I don't think that exists anymore. So Tara Reed, uh, yeah, I got to admit, she's pretty fun in this movie. Like she has a lot of fun. Speaking of fun, L- Loretta Devine is offered her Den- Officer Denise. I actually, I after I said that Tara Reid was my favorite character mm-hmm. in this, I realized I was like, no! Well, there were, there were no take backsies on this show, so... <laughs> no, we the best, said. though. Mm-hmm. I no love her back-sies. so much. I, like, her character is amazing. Um, I wish we had more of her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I just... I, I, I love that she tries so hard, but she's, I mean like Brenda says, she's a rent-a-cop. So she's kind of mm-hmm. limited in what she can do. Also, mm-hmm. do campus cops have guns? I feel like they don't have guns. I don't, New, yeah, I don't think so. In New Hampshire, they probably do. <laughs> okay. Okay, I think New Hampshire, very likely they do. Um, yeah, I don't think that was a thing in most universities where your college cops would have guns. She's great though. And it's, I, uh, yeah. I, I'm glad that they... I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. I'm glad that she was in the second film too, because mm-hmm. she was definitely one of the standouts. Yes. Um, I like how they use her to tie the both movies together because yes. they otherwise have like absolutely nothing to do with one another. And you're like, mm-hmm. why is this, why is this urban legend too? Like they have nothing. Oh, because mm-hmm. uh, Loretta Devine's <laughs> in it. All right, fantastic. I mean, uh, it's like Halloween and Halloween three. Like mm-hmm. same name, same, yeah, same but result. different. Same result. <laughs> um, yeah, and I like that. Like she definitely plays comic relief, but is also the only character that's really taking what's going on very serious too. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, all right, the game is definitely afoot. Um, right. You know, I definitely really enjoy that about her. And again, like really fun character. 
like I agree with you both like she's um actually besides from Brenda she's one of my favorite characters and I felt like she was like a real character kind of like what you were just saying where it's just kind of like she was taking it seriously she was trying to do um like the right steps in order to find out exactly what's going on here and even though and I know it's kind of like well this is going to sound so messed up because it was just her job she could have just went home you know but she really wanted to find out and I don't know, again, with the with the dedication, you know, and then even calling out, you know, Natalie, when it's just like, it is a little bit weird that you're always mm-hmm. there when something happens. So I don't know, like, she's just very likable. Then in the sequel, like, really love her character in the sequel. I'm just surprised that she would want to be a security guard again. After yeah. what happened, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe she, I... I would assume that she, because I feel like the trope with security guards is that they really want to be cops, but they can't get a job as cops. Right. I feel like is the trope in film. So I probably would assume that with everything that happened on that campus, that she probably couldn't get a job as a cop since mm-hmm. so many kids died under her. Mm-hmm. No, I, I get it. So that, that's what I mean. Like, what if that yeah. happened again? It's just like, I don't know, maybe be a manager at Starbucks yeah. or, right. or, you know what I mean? Like, do. <laughs> I don't know. I I would think to do something else, but yeah, maybe it's not for her, right? But it's just like you know, there's a sequel to Paul Blart Mall Cop. You know, Mm -hmm. like you know, he was still a mall cop after all is said and done. There's a second one of those movies, so um, there were like three Maniac Cop cop movies. So after the first Maniac (laughs) Cop, there's still more Maniac Cops that are out there. Um, All right, as far as set pieces go what are some of your favorite kind of like because like you said molly like one of the things you love about this movie is how you can kind of like set natalie aside as like a giant wet blanket and really focus on the kills of the movie what are some of your both of your favorite kind of set pieces that this one has something that really comes to mind the wardrobe i feel like the wardrobe is a little bit that's so off isn't it but let me finish okay give okay. me a chance nobody interrupted <laughs> you nobody was i know that was, was just cutting you off nobody. it was just in my mind okay. i feel like it's it's timeless i know that people are always talking about like oh 90s fashion mm-hmm. but i feel like some of the things that they were wearing people would still wear them mm-hmm. now you know so i like the fact that the movie even though it, yes it is like an older movie it doesn't look that way it doesn't mm-hmm. feel that way so I feel like regardless of, you know, your age and stuff like that, if you want to get into horror, if you've been watching horror for a long time and said you haven't seen this movie, I think that anyone could watch it and feel some type of connection. Like you're able to follow and able to relate. It still feels modern, like a modern slasher. Mm-hmm. I, I feel <laughs> this is going to be sound weird maybe, but I feel like this was one of the more goth slashers that came mm-hmm. out at that time and that was something that I really liked um like obviously uh is it Tasha or Natasha I think it was Tosh. Tasha Tosh yeah Tosh. like her character obviously is like full-blown goth like she painted half the room black mm-hmm. <laughs> but um just her character and I mean her death was also like really disturbing especially knowing that it happened like right next to Natalie mm-hmm. in the same room yeah. that's yeah um, and then, but even Tara Reed's character, I feel, was 
fairly goth like the outfit that she wears when she dies I feel like is is pretty goth looking and like you said that's something I could see people wearing now um but just there I mean there's a lot to like about this I mean I I feel like trying to think what the most honestly probably Damon's death I feel Mm -hmm. like was the most memorable like combination of things to create his kill um his was really really good Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you would count this as a set piece, but I love all the like little nods to old horror films mm-hmm. in there. I mean, old like yeah. 80s horror films, right. like obviously Brad Dorf being it and mm-hmm. um, Robert England. Robert England, yeah. It's there are just so many fun little things that like it's this clearly was made for horror fans. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there are things that only people who watch a lot of horror would pick up on. And I love right. that about it. And that's very much like Jamie Blanks, I think, loves mm-hmm. when you hear him talk about horror. He obviously loves horror. He went on after this. He did Valentine, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is like a criminally under uh, underappreciated horror movie. So Definitely. good. Mm-hmm. Like David Boreanaz. And I know he's like done a lot of like really good TV work and he's always working. But that dude should have been massive. Mm-hmm. um i always thought he should have been like a lot bigger like i love valentine so blanks really knows how to shoot horror and i guess he just like decided to move back to australia after he had a kid and like raise his family there and i guess um blake from score to death was saying how he went on to instead of like directing he's like gone on to like film composition mm-hmm. at this point but that's what I was like. I'm like, what happened to this guy? Yeah. Like he, because you know his movies made bank. They were really good. He was a hot young buck, and uh, England talked about really liking to work with him and how they would talk, you know, classic horror together in between takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always like seeing Robert England get to just act, yeah, um, and not just put on the Freddy makeup because he's so good and he's so mm-hmm. he is very like tenured uh, professor in this movie like the kind of guy who he knows that like nothing you can do is going to touch him basically like Mm -hmm. he could literally take a shit on the middle of the floor of his class and he's like i've got i've got tenure you know like it's you can't do anything Mm -hmm. and i just his disdain for his students like you smug little rich kids i hate (laughs) and you know, something I thought was pretty cool, like with, with Jamie Blinks, like kind of like what um what Molly mentioned, like with like like doing things just for like horror fans and stuff. Like at first for the longest time, I didn't understand. Like I wanted to see more Danielle Harris, mm-hmm. but just the fact that she was in the movie and mm-hmm. like her character is so she's more memorable than Natalie. You yeah. know, so <laughs> all right, let me stop taking shots at Natalie. But no, it's just <laughs> But you know, you you kind of just just remember her character, and it's just like you know. I remember when I saw her when I first watched the movie, I was really excited that she was in it. But then it was shocking that she was just gone so fast. Mm-hmm. But again, it's still memorable, right? And I think this would have been for when it came out. I don't think Halloween Four was quite as like revered as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just like, oh yeah, like that was Jamie Lloyd, but it wasn't like that big a deal. Or now it's like you know her as Jamie Lloyd and then everything. And she's almost like genre, almost like genre royalty at this point, like another Catherine Isabel where like she raises her game. And I do wish you saw the name of the site. I'm pretty sure the site was like big titty got girl dot. God damn it. This is a great (laughs) joke. And I screwed up the delivery. 
big titty goth girlfriend delivery.com it's like the site she's on like god love it like the whole what room are you in you know like that was just it was that easy like god yeah. damn i went to college yeah. at the wrong time um, <laughs> you just needed is... to find the the goth girls that were into lithium mm-hmm. that's what you were missing that's what i was missing uh, my lithium connection um <laughs> I like the opening set piece. Like I love, you know, the bad singing. I love Brett Dourif and how he's used as a red herring in this movie and like how just the whole setup of like, oh, you need to come in. Like the credit card company wants to talk to you and um, mm-hmm. how he's trying to protect her. And then like, as soon as she drives off, he can finally get it out. And like, again, Brad Dourif is someone who everything he's in, he always gives it his all. And he's always fantastic, whether it's Deadwood whether it's, you know, obviously the voice of Chucky, his right. X-Files character, even like something as lame as Critters 4. Um, <laughs> he's still really fun to watch in that movie. Like, God, like, Brad Dourif is a national treasure. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and I it's think- that opening sequence, I love too, that they, that she sings so off key. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that, that weirdly makes it feel so much more real. Yeah. Because I feel like these days, like every actor is like, I'm an actor and I can sing. Yes. <laughs> and so to have her just be so bad, just it, it makes the character feel real and it makes it feel more like it could be one of us. Mm-hmm. But it's just yeah. so weird because it's just like, no, I've never been fortunate enough to, you know, knock on wood, been attacked like that. But it's just crazy that she thought she'd just sing right afterwards. My mm-hmm. nerves would be shot. Yeah. I mean, I get oh. it. Maybe she was trying to like calm herself down, but. I saw it as that, yeah. Like a way to kind of soothe yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the way that is shot too, like the way um, Rebecca Gayhart's Brenda like sits up like right when the lightning strikes and you only see that silhouette shot so well, like, oh, it's perfect. It's really mm. a very cool sequence. And I know they talk about you know, like blanks and the producers and the cinematographer talk about how, yeah, it's a slasher movie, but it's more of a suspense movie. Like it's bloody, but it's not super over the top bloody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it builds a lot, trades more on suspense than it does like gore and, you know, bloodshed for the sake of it. Like there's a lot of cutaways in this. And I think like the original script for the um, opening sequence had that character, like actually seeing her get beheaded and like the head rolling out the window and they're like, you know, we can do this a little bit different way and have it be like more effective. And I like just mm-hmm. the axe coming through the window. Yeah. Um, Cause that just suggests a lot of brutality right there. Yeah. Oh, so as far as like the new wave and I think I have the answer, but as far as the new wave of slasher movies goes, like where does this rank for both of you? I mean for me I I mean Scream will always be number one for the the new wave um but I for me Urban Legend is number two I it'll it'll for those for that era of slashers it'll always be like pretty pretty close behind um Scream for me um compared to scream or just in general in general in general like that whole period of like 96 to right 2001 um honestly i'm gonna say that it's it's probably 
within like the top three because mm-hmm. I've always just, whenever I watch it, I always have a good time. No matter how many times I've watched this movie, I always see something new. Um, I don't know, you know, it's just, again, it's just a fun movie. Um, and even with some of my friends who's not really into horror like that, always show them this and they always have mm-hmm. a good time. So yeah, top three. Yeah. I would have it like, like you said, Molly, like probably right behind Scream mm-hmm. uh, and probably like, you know, Scream 2 in terms of like the better slashers of this period. Like it's a lot of fun. It's really well acted. Everyone, you know, Jared Leto aside, everyone's really fun to look at. Like not going <laughs> to lie is as boring as a character as Natalie is like, Alicia Witt is a I I find one of the all time like classic beauties like I think she's gorgeous and yeah I don't mind watching her for two hours on a screen not gonna lie um and I think like the Rebecca Gayhart is just so much fun in that killer reveal that it automatically ups the game uh and ups the ante for this movie in terms of just the rewatchability factor of it like it's just a masterclass in campy acting so overall like aside from the first couple screams it's definitely this is actually the movie that when we went into lockdown back in the spring aside from things for the show i pretty much stopped watching horror for a month and went into like i'm going to rewatch all the parks and rec in the office for some comfort um and this was the first horror movie that i watched with the family and my daughter i'm like oh like 11 years old and mom like oh yeah that's what i do with my kid like why would i judge anyone like my kids watching like urban legend at age nine going sorry kid family movie night uh (laughs) and she loves it um this was like the first thing that we watched because it's like i just want something fun um and i there seems to be like i'm a little bit older and i know for like horror fans like in their 40s like me it seems to be like give me the golden age and I don't really like scream and all these other movies, but I think there's definitely a place for them. Um, I know like watching scream now, the last time was at a drive-in and there were like kids there in their teens and early twenties that were like all about that movie. Um, And there's a lot of like really fun movies from this era that really gave birth to a new generation of horror fans. So love it. Um, is there anything I'm missing? Anything that either of you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? No, I mean, I, I, I think we covered it as far as it goes yeah. with, the, with the movie. All right. I think we've nailed it. So I, I would like to ask then, Zena, tell us a little bit, like you just started the Bloody Disgusting podcast, right? Yes. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about that and some of the other projects that you have that you're working on right now. Of course. So Bloody Disgusting Podcast, it's a weekly podcast that we do where we talk about all the things that we love in horror. So we'll give um, just like what we've been watching for the week. We'll talk about some some of the latest horror news. And then I also give you some movie recommendations based on what's being released that week. Mm-hmm. So that's always just fun. And, you know, sometimes there's, there's, a, there's a lot of negativity in the world. So we kind of want to keep things positive and stuff, even though I know I was just going in on Natalie. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> but I'm like positivity. But yeah, no, mm-hmm. just... um. We, we try to like spread that positivity. Um, I also do like weekly videos on YouTube because I mm-hmm. like to talk and I like to yell. It's fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, about different topics. It's just usually like different lists and stuff. So if you like that kind of stuff, feel free to check it out. Mm-hmm. And um, right now I'm currently working on my feature movie that I'm really excited mm-hmm. about. 
I've been working on it for a couple of years, but I'm actually like really, you know, ready to shoot my shot. So that's, that's what's going on. Is it on something you've uh, written as well, or you're directing and you wrote it or? Yes. So I wrote it, but I'm also working on it with a friend, um, mm -hmm. a really awesome writer that I know. And I just, I love everything that he does. Okay. So um, we, I thought it would be a cool idea if we just combined our superpowers mm -hmm. and like really, you know, push for it. Like I have like a very, very rough, rough draft, mm -hmm. um, but I really want to be able just to concentrate just on the directing. Okay. And what, what sort of like challenges are you finding though? Cause like with COVID right now and trying to get people together, like how are you kind of getting around all the health, uh, you know, basically craziness of the world right now? I mean, for me, um, it, it hasn't been that bad. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough where it's like before COVID, I just started working from home last mm -hmm. December and, um, you know, kind of where I live, I live in the, kind of the middle of nowhere. So you, mm -hmm. like, I know it's like I'm, I'm in Florida. So sometimes it could be like, uh, yikes. But luckily the people who I live around, like everyone has been following the rules. Mm -hmm. um, it really hasn't been that bad. But even as far as it goes with the actual, um, with the movie that we've been working on, we'll just talk maybe like once a week, you know, work on some notes, just go back and forth. And, you know, we'll just have like calls and video chats mm -hmm. just to see, see where we are. And just, it's been mostly just like research. So it's kind of been like, it's been fun because you're, you know, I wanted to make sure who I was working with that we can have like a regular conversation and it's not like too stuffy or anything like that. So fortunate for me, it's been not as bad. Okay. And when you say research, is there anything you can reveal about the topic of the movie or is that something you're kind of keeping down low right now? I'm kind of keeping down low right now okay. because the, the craziest thing happened. I remember um, a couple of years ago, I had like an awesome idea about, you know, where it could be like, kind of like, okay, what if there is like this demon that only can come out, you know, in the darkness and it could mm -hmm. be someone's imaginary friend. And then, you know, uh, there's David F. Sandberg, Sandberg his movie, mm -hmm. uh, Lights Out, even though I know he mm -hmm. had like the short and stuff, but yeah, it was just kind of like, yeah, that's, that's a no. So I'm not going to mm -hmm. speak it in existence. I'm okay. Just gonna... No problem. And with the podcast, are you mentioned like we're doing it, like who are the co-hosts for that? So, uh, the first one is Megan. You guys mm -hmm. know her. She's like one of the leading writers at Bloody Disgusting. I mm -hmm. love her. She's like my horror sister. And then John over at Creepy Podcast. Uh, okay which is just like such a great team. Like when they first uh, asked me, this was like, we started talking about, I want to say in the summer when mm -hmm. they asked me to join in with them, I was like really excited because I love bloody disgusting and I love to talk. So it just fit perfectly. Excellent. And where can our listeners find you online? So I'm always on Twitter lurking, lovely Zena. And then I'm on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. It's just real queen of horror. Excellent. Thank you. And thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for inviting me. I, I really appreciate it. I'm sorry if I, I, I had a soda. So I'm trying to like. No, we. I much rather have guests that lend their personality and have a lot to say. Uh, and we've been very lucky. Like Almost all of our guests are like that, as opposed to like trying to pull teeth. Big right, start. Right. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear me. Trust me. I hear it all the time. Like the show would be great if you weren't on it. I'm like, fantastic. No. Right? <laughs> I kid. I kid. Um, but no, you are welcome back anytime. Um, 
Molly, how about yourself? Like, what are you, do you have any work coming up in the new We Are Horror scene? Like, what are you working on right now? Um, nothing new for We Are Horror at this point. Um, I do have a monthly column that I've been doing for Certified Forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, I think November just came out last week. I, or maybe it was this week. Mm-hmm. It's quarantine, so I don't know what days are anymore. <laughs> right. It actually may have been this week. It may have just been on Monday or Tuesday. Um, and it's it's actually my my uterus horror column that initially had started on Fangoria mm-hmm. and then got moved over to Certified Forgotten. Um, and so I have that one. And then obviously December, there will be another one coming out. And for um, those who don't know, what is Certified Forgotten? Uh, Certified Forgotten is um, a website by the, the Mats. Um, as I call them every email I'm like hey Matt's um uh Matt Donato and Matt I, I'm I'm gonna say his I know his name is it's I yeah yeah I'm not gonna even try because I'm gonna butcher it but it's is it they, Donegal it, it's something similar to that I okay. I I'm I'm gonna butcher I have it, to I edit it. this part don't I I really have to <laughs> cut this part out it's yeah but it's so they started it I believe they started it as a podcast Mm -hmm. um and then they just recently during COVID decided to start the website and have actual editorials and stuff as well um and they were nice enough to invite me to have uterus horror there so I'm very glad that it has a home when Um, you say uterus horror what is there what would be the general theme of the so uterus horror is a subgenre of horror that I made up Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I basically define it as horror films that use horror to either act as a metaphor for or um, to exacerbate situations uh, that are young women going through puberty or like ex- getting their first uh, or wow uh, going through puberty or coming into their sexuality. Mm-hmm. So films like Ginger Snaps, The Witch, um, the article that I just did this month was on Selma. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a subgenre that I realized wasn't getting a ton of attention. And even though there are a lot of films that fit in there, like no one had really named it. Cause it's like, they're kind of coming of age stories but coming of age stories are typically for like men's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to do something that was focused more on women. <laughs> so that's why i named it uterus horror all right um also to make men a little uncomfortable has anyone said like that makes me uncomfortable or i mean not those specific words but i i remember um seeing some comments when fangoria posted one of the first articles on their instagram someone was like oh why did you have to call it uterus horror and of course, it was a dude that said that. Of course, it was. Which is exactly why I, I chose that name. You're like, well, that's why, right there, because um, of you. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's I, I like to to push buttons sometimes. That's all right. <laughs> Pushing buttons is okay. Pushing yes. buttons is totally um, fine. Um, all right. And where can our listeners find you online? Um, on Twitter, I am at blogging banshee and on instagram i'm at blogging dot banshee excellent well you're welcome back anytime if you want to come back we'd love to have you on so of course this has been great you let us know the series and we'll find a way to to do it so all right um so for our listeners we hope you've enjoyed this edition of the show 
Uh, you can find us over at Pod and Pendulum over on Twitter. Um, go to our Patreon. Like we are going to be our Patreon episode for this month should be out by Thanksgiving. Um, if all goes well, I'm going to be joined by BJ Colangelo, and we're going to be breaking down one of her favorite movies, uh, the 1999's House on Haunted Hill. So that should be a lot of fun. Go to patreon.com, pod in the pendulum. Tiers are like two, five, and ten bucks, and two bucks gets you all our bonus shows plus access to our Slack channel. So honest to God, folks, if you don't think we're worth two bucks, what the fuck? Don't know what else to say. <laughs> Don't know what else to say at this point. Um, follow us on Facebook at our group, which I think is just Facebook Pod and Pendulum. We don't have an Instagram because I can barely maintain the stuff that we do as it is. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back with Urban Legends. Uh, I think Final Cut next week. That's the second movie name, right? I'm doing yes. that stuff in my head. <laughs> All right. Um, and have a happy Thanksgiving. Wear a mask socially distanced don't go anywhere and travel this fall and you know we'll get through this have a good week <laughs> <laughs>